Hello, and welcome to You Should Hear This, a podcast for the everyday association professional. I'm Nick Estrada, your host. We hear on the news how we should work to be sustainable, have a greener mindset in our everyday lives, and in our own industry, we're pushed to plan our meetings from small to large associations with better sustainability practices. As association professionals, we strive to have this top of mind when putting together our annual meetings, workshops, and other gatherings, but at times can feel stuck and lost on where to start. Do we just get rid of all of our printed materials, no longer have name tags, or do we only rely on our phones while also recognizing digital platforms still use electricity and balance access issues for our attendees? Our guest today, Julia Spangler, will be able to assist with these questions. Julie is the founder of Ecosystem Events, a company that strives to reduce and divert waste from meetings and events. Julia helps organizations and event professionals reduce the environmental impact of their events in order to preserve our planet and deliver powerful sustainability results. Her experience ranges from conventions and banquets to festivals and concerts. She's led waste diversion programs at events with up to 24,000 attendees, and her programs have resulted in waste diversion rates as high as 93%. Julia is a proud member of MPI and the MPI Indiana chapter, and was the recipient of MPI's Rise Award for Young Professional Achievement in 2019. Welcome, Julia. Hey, Nick. Glad to be here. And we are glad to have you. This is an I'm I'm excited to talk about this topic. I think I feel like I hear it all the time right now in um, conversations around events. Uh, it's you know we have to be sustainable. We have to do the responsible thing. But then we also have that conversation of well, what does that mean? I'm not sure everyone knows. (laughs) So this will be good. Before we get started, do you mind just sharing a little bit about your own background and how you got into kind of the line of work that you do today and and even then owning your own company? Sure. Well, like many people, I took kind of a circuitous route to being in the events industry. I actually started my career as a graphic designer, and it was through my job in a corporate marketing department that I was even introduced to the world of meetings and events. Um, In that job, I both fell in love with events and actually kind of unwittingly played a role in creating a lot of event waste for several years until the light bulb went on and kind of, you know, my, my personal values kind of collided with what I was doing at work. And I realized like, oh, bleep, there's got to be a less wasteful way to put on events, a better way to do this. Um, so that was really the inspiration for, you know, thinking about changing what I was doing and led to me starting my company ecosystem events in 2015. I think, uh, you said something there that really strikes me. And I think a lot of us probably experience this, that, that personal, kind of belief and then the things that either happen in our day-to-day job or, uh, you know, as a as a process of planning an event, because I, I would agree there's times where um, I know around food waste, that's a big one for me. I remember seeing one time like, wow, nobody came to this lunch and we just threw away so much food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to then now, as we look forward to future events, like that's now something I know that for us really lives in our planning process where we've we now ask you if you're coming to that lunch that's already included in your registration because we want to know, right? We need to figure out um, so that we can think about that. Yes, and that's an excellent best practice. I want to call that out. If you're not getting a per <laughs> meal kind of RSVPs, that is such a it's an easy way to to um, reduce food waste. So that's great that you guys are doing that. Yeah, thank you. All right, so obviously events, right? Uh, over the last few years, have shifted both down. And then now I think we're kind of on the upswing again, right? People are meeting again. We're seeing face-to-face experiences happen. 
kind of what are you seeing in the realm of sustainability, right? Were there things that, you know, we were maybe on the upswing for some sustainability practices, the pandemic kind of maybe it, that curtailed those a little bit. And then are we starting to see some of those things return? Yeah, I think there was a ton of momentum for sustainability in you know, 2018, 2019. Obviously, you know, 2020 was a kind of a very full stop for a lot of things in events. And I do think that sustainability was was one of those things as well. And in the case of sustainability, kind of swinging back to some of that pre-pandemic mode is going to be a really good thing because one of the things that happened in the pandemic, especially in, in food service, there was a big misconception that you had to go disposable for mm. food to be safe. And that belief, I think, kind of held on even after those kind of first couple of months of confusion where people weren't even sure, you know, like, is it is it transmitted with food? You know, what is the risk there? But for the last couple of years, I have been part of global efforts to really reassure event professionals that reusable serviceware from dishes to glasses to linens, those are all totally safe to use when you just follow standard hygiene best practices. You don't need to do anything that you, you know, a reputable vendor wouldn't have been doing before the pandemic. That's been a huge just kind of communications and reassurance effort over the pandemic is you don't need to go plastic. You don't need to go disposable because using those reusable dishes is um, a really important way to reduce waste. In terms of other things for sustainability, um, recycling and composting and you know vendors that provide that, those bounce back really quickly. So all of those services are you know, available and have been available for, you know, at least you know, a long time now, um, there wasn't really a huge pause in like sustainable waste diversion options. But yeah, I think it's it's more just about having the mental bandwidth to get back to thinking about it. You know, now that, you know, the, the health and safety, you know, kind of options are somewhat figured out, you know, you know assess the risk level of your attendees, kind of determine what you're going to do. All of that is not such a new thought process. So I think event professionals have a little bit more mental bandwidth to start thinking about, okay, now how can we get back to do things more sustainably? Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that, um, you know, some of those waste diversion programs have come back pretty quickly, right? Are you seeing that more so with, I'm going to say, with like a third party composting, recycling company, right, that can come in and support your event? Or are you seeing that more with actual hotels? Because I think that's always a question as a planner that I think about sometimes is, I want to work with my hotel to help manage some of those programs, but I don't know that hotels and with some of the staffing issues that I think the industry as a whole is still seeing, I don't always know that they're staffed and ready to maybe support some of those programs. So I'm hesitant to ask. Yeah. And I think, I mean, in my experience working primarily here in central Indiana, those programs have typically been through third-party vendors. There's, you know, a lot of other destinations around the country where there is a little bit more in-house, you know, composting support, you know, in in destinations that are a little bit more known for that. But what I have seen over, you know, the last several years since I have been in this aspect of the industry is that there are kind of waste diversion vendors and specialists and people who can help you with that in a lot of markets around the country. So obviously that's something that Ecosystem Events does here in central Indiana. There are companies like us across the country. And I think that's really encouraging because 
you know, obviously it's going to take more than a, a handful of vendors to meet the, the need of responsible waste management for all of the events in the U.S. Um, so that's something I would encourage planners to, to look for in the area that you're meeting is to see if there are vendors who can help you with that, because it's a huge thing to take on by yourself. You know, you can do it, but uh, sometimes it can help to have that extra support. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even just thinking about a company like yours, right, as as like an AV partner, right? I would not manage all the AV for my conference. I also don't necessarily want to manage all the waste reduction or waste management kind of components of the event either. So I think that's a, a good good piece of advice from you there to kind of look and see what's around and, and kind of figure out how we can partner with those groups. Exactly. That's the, the perfect analogy. I like to tell people, you're not cooking for the event. You're not <laughs> making floral arrangements. So, you know, don't expect yourself to, um, you know, be able to handle all the sustainability. Don't put that all on yourself. Absolutely. So you mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm thinking now maybe the, the the bigger challenge in returning to some of these events is not uh, necessarily this, like, I don't want to support sustainability, but it's that mental bandwidth, right? So to give ourselves that space again. So as meetings are coming back, how do we give ourselves that man- mental bandwidth to actually think about sustainability in a new way and not just immediately return to, well, this is what our conference looked like in 2018 or 2019 before the pandemic hit. And so that's what we need to go back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one thing that I I like to make sure people understand and as to hopefully be kind of comforting to them is to like sustainability is so broad. It encompasses so many things. Uh, and that's even if you're just looking at environmental, you know, some people also include, you know, social issues uh, in their definition of sustainability. And that just makes it even broader. So I think, you know, if you really, you know, let yourself acknowledge like this is a huge undertaking and just, you know, know that you don't have to tackle everything at once. Um, that is a good way to just be overwhelmed by it and feel like you can't do it. And, you know, I, I'm always an advocate of picking something to start with that you can achieve and, you know, having, you know, building some momentum with that and then improving over time. You know, there's no way that you can, you know, if you're totally new to it, jump back in with a zero waste, carbon neutral, water positive event. Like that's, you know, unless you had like a huge budget and, you know, outsourced all of that to 10 different consultants, you know, that's Which not- Which we all have. Right. We right. all have you know, unlimited resources and we can do this. Money right now. Yeah. So, you know, just acknowledge what your capacity is. And it's more about taking that first step and getting some momentum started. I appreciate that perspective because I think sometimes- I mean, obviously, depending on the association, right? But I think there are times where I hear, if we're not doing everything, then we're failing, right? Mm -hmm. If we are not zero carbon, and this is where I'm like, I don't even know all the words, right? If I'm not (laughs) net zero carbon, if I'm not water positive, if I'm not all these things, if we have a, a scrap of waste, right, we have failed as an organization. And I think that makes it really hard for association professionals, I think, sometimes to approach these conversations because we say, well, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do or how my one singular event can fix any of this. Um, and so I, I think to give ourselves some grace there, I think feels nice, but to know that we can still approach some things. Definitely. I think giving, you know, giving yourself and giving each other grace as we all are learning how to do this is really important. I'm a big advocate for being transparent about what you're 
what you're attempting and, you know, however things come out, you know, whether it was successful or whether it was, you know, some people might call a failure. I would prefer to frame as a learning experience, (laughs) you know, to frame like we tried this and it really did not work, but now we know how to do this better next time. Um, And I think the more that in this industry that we can have that kind of sharing, the more people are going to feel empowered to make attempts and to not feel like they have to be perfect straight out of the gate. Uh, I also wanted to throw something in kind of to your point of, you know, what can my one meeting do? Because this was really kind of my inspiration for wanting to get into sustainability for events. Meetings are such a great opportunity to make it a bigger sustainable impact because you can address at scale some of the simple behaviors that we do every day. You know, when I was thinking about starting my business, I was thinking about, you know, the the things that I was trying so hard to do at home in my apartment to be sustainable and realizing, you know, you know, I'm, I'm one person, but at an event, you know, you can make a single sustainable decision that has the impact of 300 or 500 or 5,000 things that would take one person a year or more to do on their own. So, you know, we're all, we all eat every day, but if that, for an event, if you just make one decision to, you know, make sure that those meals are served on reasonable dishes instead of plastic or, you know, source that food from uh, farms that take good care of the land or make sure that uneaten food is donated or composted instead of being landfilled, you have that positive impact that would take one person so long to achieve. So I think that that, that's exciting to me because that's the the power of events um, to make that positive impact. Well, that is a quotable moment. And I think that will be in our, our promo for this episode. I think that's a really great way to think about that. I mean, even just listening, I was like, yeah, oh, wow, I can get behind that now. Because you're right. I think sometimes I, I think even for myself, I, I sit at home and I try not to use, you know, plastic drinking glasses. And I have all these glass containers that I try to bring. I have a reusable coffee cup that I have used for like the last six years. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, but at the end of the day, I always ask myself, like, I don't know what that's doing, but you're right. At an event, wow, that decision that I can make is is magnified so fast over even just a, a one-day event, right? And if yeah. you have a multi-day event, right, just thinking about how that continues to do that. So that's a great way. That makes me feel more energized to bring those conversations to the table again, where I'm like, look at what we can do. Um, so thank you for that. Okay, so as we think about planning maybe some of our waste reduction practices, how do we align those with our customer expectations? So when I say customer here, right, I mean our attendees, our members, our sponsors. I think there are, especially in the sponsor realm, I don't know that members always expect this, but I feel like sponsors, <laughs> they want their logo on stuff, right? They want their name out there. And that's why they're a sponsor. I mean, realistically, I get it. So how do we still meet their needs um, or their expectations of what they should be receiving with kind of this concept of we're trying to reduce waste at the end of the day? Definitely. Sponsor recognition is, I think, one of the areas that does need some rethinking because, as you're, you know, to your point, it has been very print heavy, very you know, production heavy. Um, but I think especially kind of with trends toward, you know, digital projections uh, at events, you know, there's definitely options that we have. Of course, it's always been very common to have those sponsor logos in your 
rotating slides and, you know, any kind of screen that's up at your event is a great opportunity to have sponsor logos displayed, you know, even potential additional projection mapping, kind of to your point in the intro, that does take extra energy. I always like to encourage people to make use of the screens that are already built into your event or the ones that you know you're going to be having, your onstage screens or whatever, before bringing in a bunch of extra streams just to, you know, show other information. But definitely taking advantage of those, making sure your sponsors are featured in your app and on your website, especially if that is now where you're going to drive more people mm-hmm. to look for information, being creative with how sponsors are placed in there. Um, you know, I in a lot of event apps, um, I used to build event apps in my previous job and some of them, you know, I don't know that the banner ads are like the banner ads are great, but I think that there's opportunities to be even more creative with, you know, custom pages or having sponsors of particular pieces of content um, where, you know, people are going to go, things like that. And then in the print realm, you know, I don't think we're going to immediately get away from print sponsor recognition, but a strategy that is actually one of my favorite case studies to share in one of my courses is, you know, just dividing signs into sections um, so that there's a reusable portion and like a sponsor recognition Mm -hmm. portion. There's a lot of ways to do this. You can get signs that have like plastic sleeves in them. So you can kind of print an insert, but that backing board, you know, if it's just ISAE branded or whatever association branded, um, you can use that for multiple events and just put sponsors and other information in there. Um, And the case study I like to share is the Indiana Sports Corporation does this corporate challenge event every year out at the Speedway. And it's just kind of like a corporate field day. Uh, And they have a lot of banners for that that go across different things that go over the track. And, you know, and they did this totally on their own, which I was very proud of them for. They had a big, a massive vinyl banner that had the event logo on there. Uh, they very smartly left off the year and the mm. location and anything that would date it. So, you know, they've got this 20 foot vinyl banner and they've got sponsor recognition on each end, but that was sectioned off into smaller vinyl banners. So there's mm. still some waste, but it didn't waste the entire, you know, 40 foot banner. So they've got probably two thirds of it that they can reuse. And then for next year, they would just reprint much smaller, much less expensive banners to switch out for the sides. Um, so really any kind of sign, just think about modularity um, and what is the information that is persistent and what is the information that you need to update, whether that's sponsors or session information or whatever. Yeah, that's cool. I like that concept of just being able to kind of reuse components because I think that's sometimes where folks are hesitant because they're like, well, I don't want to reuse the entire sign every time, even though that would be great, right? We'd love for them to do that. But I think there's that concern of like, well, what if next year it doesn't look or I need a slightly different sized thing with that kind of concept of, well, I can just create a different sized bottom half or something if I really needed to. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of, I like that. You know, I think expectations of our attendees, of our members, of our sponsors, right, are changing. I think what uh, I can, I can say for my association that I work with, we're hearing a lot more. I don't know that necessarily they are all on the sustainability kind of train, but their clients are. And so that's pushing them to be as well. And I think we're seeing a lot of that, right? With that downstream expectation of the supply chain is if I'm going to use you, I want you to be sustainable kind of this concept, right? But 
I still think it's going to be a while right before everybody's on board with like every component of sustainability. So how do we as an association make sure that we're not getting too far ahead of where maybe our attendees are? Because I think that if we get too far ahead of them, and I could be wrong on this, right? I, I just worry that we get too far ahead of them and now they shut down and they don't want to participate in any of the sustainability things that we're doing because it just feels too far beyond what my association is designed to do. Yeah, um, I think that there are a number of things you can do. First would be just kind of take a pulse on where members are about sustainability, what their thoughts are, you know, and, and that can be broader in terms of how much do we incorporate that into what we do as an entire association or maybe polling on some specific behaviors to see if those would be, you know, things you can incorporate into your meetings or, you know, how much education you would need around that, you know, if you're rolling out composting at your meeting for the first time and your attendees have no awareness of what that is, some more education about what that is and, you know, what it does, what the importance of that is. I think something that is, is important is kind of being able to speak about sustainability in a way that ties into the values of the audience. Mm. You know, it's not just a, a liberal thing necessarily because, you know, conserving the planet, you know, <laughs> conserving conservative, there's overlap there. Um, you know, so sometimes it's the language can be adjusted to do, you know, the same goal. We did a waste diversion program for the FFA convention mm. in 2019. And we framed all of our efforts there around agriculture. It was a food waste specific program. So, you know, we provided educational material about, you know, composting does this and it produces this soil amendment that, you know, improves soil fertility, which is good for growing. Um, we had part of the food waste that we diverted to feed animals at a farm. Um, so obviously talked about that agricultural tie-in. Um, and there are some other methods of food waste management that had kind of direct agricultural ties. And then, you know, in terms of, you know, initiatives to reduce food waste, you can talk about, you know, protecting the output of American farmers and respecting their work and not putting their products to waste. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can talk about sustainable behaviors, depending on who your audience is. So I think there's a way to bring people along, regardless of kind of what their political orientation might be. Yeah, you know, I was at an event, and I think it was interesting because they, um, for the menu, they highlighted why they were making the food choices they were making. And I think that helped because I'll be honest, I, I like to eat. I'm not a vegetarian. I eat meat, but the whole meal was vegetarian, right? Mm -hmm. But the, it helped me understand like why those choices were made, right? Even though it may, it may not have been the choice I would have made, you know, that I could clearly understand how that tied to the association, how that tied to the honoree of the evening, right? And why that was important to that person. And so I would agree kind of just not apologizing for some of the things that we're doing, but then tying that to the message of our association or the audience and why that is helpful for them at the end of the day. Exactly. When we think about, because one of the things you just mentioned there makes me really kind of push on this is how much education do we need to provide around the practices that we're providing at an event, at a workshop, you know, whatever that looks like. Yeah, you know, I think about composting, right? Like I always worry about like those ones that are like split where it's like, this is trash, this is recycle, this is 
compost. And then I go up and I'm like, okay, which one do I put the things in? And then I look and I'm like, well, there's stuff in all three of these now that is all mixed. So like, is this even working anymore? I don't know. So how much education do we need to provide? Do I need to worry about if those things are mixed? I'm not, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So it kind of depends on what you want attendees to get out of the event. Um, Some events, you know, when they take on sustainability initiatives, they want attendees to kind of be inspired to potentially emulate it. Um, So I would say in that case, you might want to provide some additional education, you know, have signage or even have a, a breakout session kind of describing here's what we did at this event. So you could do this at your event. If emulation is not the goal, if you just are trying to improve the performance of your own event, I think having enough education for for compliance and comfort. So you want enough education, one, for if you're asking people to do something different, educating them enough to know what that different thing Mm -hmm. is. If you're not asking people to do anything different, you know, if you're just providing, you know, water glass stations instead of water bottles, I don't think there's necessarily a story there because people are getting their water either way, you know, they know where to buy a bottle of water if that is super important to them. But if it is a bigger change, so, you know, kind of an example of composting, if it's going to be guest facing, I like having people there to educate and kind of reassure people either to guide them or reassure them, like, if you make a mistake, don't worry about it, we'll fix it okay. um, kind of thing. Or if it's just in the back of house, you know, then again, there's no behavior change for the attendees. So education would not necessarily be required um, other than if you want to just tell that story or provide inspiration. So yeah, it just really depends on how involved guests are. I like that in terms of what is the ultimate goal of the the practice or the the behavior that we're trying to change, because then that impacts what we need to be doing on our side. Mm -hmm. And I think to your point as well of having somebody physically there, I also think as a planner or an association professional working with an event where we're trying to do that, that's a question we need to be prepared to ask of, again, either our hotel staff or if we've selected a third-party vendor, like how will you support us in this process? Because I'm not going to have, I mean, realistically, right? I'm not going to have time to sit by the <laughs> the throwaway exactly, station and yeah, be like, yeah. nope, this goes here, this goes there. But I, I, you know, you're right. If if there's another individual that can support that, then that's that's great. Yeah, that could be staff. And sometimes that can even be green volunteers, you know, mm-hmm. local environmental group you might be able to find in the area who can help do some education on that. You know, it just kind of depends on who's handling that part of your program. Absolutely. So we're all in kind of a, a journey, I think, in terms of sustainability, right? Some of us, I think some associations are like way far ahead. They're super sustainable. Some are just starting that process. As we think about some associations right at this point have already contracted for, you know, I may be out to 2027 at this point. Some groups I know are already in the 2030s, which is crazy to me to think about, right? Um, But at the same time, what are some steps now that we can take? You know, there, uh, folks are familiar with ASAE's drivers of change, there's a a driver of change called Beyond Recycling. And one of their action steps in what you can do is to take this long view on on change, right? That it's not all going to happen today. It could happen in the next decade. And so we need to be thinking about that. So what are some things that maybe we should be thinking about for those long-term events down the road, knowing that I'm sure sustainability practices are going to continue to evolve. They're going to continue to change. So what should I keep my eye on? What practices should I make sure we're definitely going to be doing later on? How can I prepare? Yeah, um, I thought that beyond recycling piece was really 
interesting in that it was kind of highlighting what you may also hear kind of referred to as the circular economy. You know, it's that idea that, you know, recycling is, you know, it's sort of it's sort of circular, but still a little bit linear in that something is produced, we use it, and then we dispose of it. And hopefully we have the opportunity to dispose of that in a way that it can be recycled and turned into something else. Um, but the truth is that a lot of products are still not manufactured in a way that that is practical. They're not easily recyclable products. They're made of, you know, plastic and metal and different things fused together, um, or it's a type of plastic that cannot be practically recycled in a lot of places. So really that kind of beyond recycling circular economy conversation, right now it is primarily a conversation that's happening among you know, companies that make things, you know, your consumer packaged goods companies, your food and beverage companies, people that produce physical products and or packaging. Um, so I do think that the downstream effects for people who put on meetings and people in associations will be a little bit more downstream, unless of course you're an association of consumer packaged goods companies <laughs> right. and things, then it's obviously that's on your table right now. But in terms of putting on association meetings, we tend to be more consumers of things than producers of things in general. So I do think that that will be a little bit down the road, but I think, you know, some of the things that are common now of, you know, providing you know, or allowing people to use their own reusable, you know, their coffee tumbler or their water bottle that they bring, that is kind of a taste of, you know, what circular economy advocates are hoping becomes more the case. Um, and I really liked, this was a, a phrase in the, the ASAE um, Beyond Recycling blurb was that at some point there may be a shift in consumer expectation from the expectation of disposability to an expectation of reusability. So I thought that was, that was thought provoking, but I do think that is, I think that'll be a few years before that hits events and meetings in a significant way. But I do think that we can start to adopt some of that mindset now when we do produce things, you know, if we're getting custom fabrication, if we're producing backdrops and even, you know, signage and sponsor recognition to start thinking about how those things can be reusable or recyclable at the point where we're designing it and choosing what it's going to be, as opposed to thinking about it once it's already produced, you're like, all right, I've got, you know, a truckload of vinyl banners who can take them, mm. but starting that thought process a little bit earlier. Yeah. So really starting with, we're going to want to be able to recycle or to reuse this product. What product do we need to buy that allows us to do that? Um, exactly. Thinking about the, the end of buy. life before yeah. anything is even produced. Yeah. I like that. That's a great practice. I think the other big one for me uh, is also just starting those conversations with our, our venue partners early. Um, so if we know that that's going to be something, uh, that's important to us, making sure that we're starting those, asking those good questions, can they support it? You know, those kinds of things. And also starting to figure out what kind of reporting that those folks can do to help us understand if we're even meeting those metrics. I think that's always a hard one for sustainability for me is, <laughs> did we do it? Yes. <laughs> you know, we did the behavior, but I don't know if we actually accomplished what we said we wanted to accomplish. And so making sure we've got folks who can, uh, help get us those metrics, I think is important. Exactly. I'm so glad you mentioned early communication um, because that is 
vital to making any of this actually happen, especially in a situation where some of these behaviors are new to one or more of the, the stakeholders. There's a lot of venues where you might be asking them to do something new for the first time and talking with them about that as early as possible, you know, preferably at the RFP stage, but even if you're committed, you know, at whatever point um, you can start communicating the things that you want to achieve and asking them what they can do to help you get there. Um, that's just the best way to maintain good relationships and make sure that everybody's on the same page about, you know, is there going to be additional investment required for this action? Who's responsible for that? Just so, you know, you're clearing up any misconceptions about, you know, oh, an XYZ association, they want me to, you know, put in this elaborate composting program at my venue and they expect me to eat the costs of that. And now we don't want to host this group. And, mm. you know, you can, um, clear up a lot of that just by saying, here's what we want to do. Let's work together to figure out a, you know, a fair way to make this possible. Yeah, absolutely. Any other just kind of vital tips, you know, as folks are approaching, you know, again, you mentioned at the very beginning, right? Sustainability can be very broad, right? So any just important things for folks to keep in mind as they think about planning their association meetings? Yeah. Um, because the sustainability is so broad, I did want to kind of, you know, name drop a few resources that that's great. Yeah, please. Because, you know, I could throw out tips for hours, but they may or may <laughs> not apply in any particular situation. So just knowing where to look for help and dig deep in your particular situations. There are a lot more resources out there than there used to be, you know, just five years ago. The Events Industry Council, they just released an online self-paced version of their sustainable event professional certificate course. You used to have to travel in person to do that, but now you can do it online at your own pace, which is fantastic. And Meeting Professionals International offers sustainability training and content. I'm sure ASAE has resources as well. Um, and there are also organizations that you can join to kind of, you know, have back and forth and connect with other, you know, meeting professionals who, you know, are really into sustainability or maybe who have more experience in it and you want to get their insight. A couple that you can join are one is called Muse, which is Members United for Sustainable Events. And there's also the Sustainable Event Alliance. Both of those are great groups to join to get connected with other people who are really trying these things in the real world and, you know, learning from successes and uh, those learning opportunities that other people have had um, so that you don't have to kind of figure it all out on your own. Thank you. And we will make sure uh, we link to those in the show notes. So if you are interested in exploring a little bit more um, about especially those two organizations and the, the certificates that they can provide or just the general other associations, um, definitely check out the show notes and, and you can learn a little bit more about each of those groups. Julia, this has been uh, a really great conversation. I, I appreciate you being here with us today. Any other, you know, maybe one kind of final piece of advice for our listeners um, that they can take away today um, for for planning their meetings? Yeah, I just want to, you know, go back to that reassurance that, you know, there's a lot to learn and a lot to do and nobody expects you or your organization to do everything perfectly right out of the gate. You know, it's okay to start with low-hanging fruit. It's okay to start with a smaller effort that you can scale over time. You know, just take that first step and when that's solid, take another and then take another and that's how anybody gets anywhere and sustainability is no different. Awesome. Thank you. Well, if folks are interested in connecting with you, learning a little bit more about how to plan sustainable events, how can they find you? How can they connect? 
The best place to find everything is at ecosystementevents.com. Got links to my different social channels on there, um, my blog posts on there. So that's the best place to reach me. Well, again, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. I think this is, a, again, a really important conversation for association professionals to be having. And I think this will help move the needle with us. So thank you. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Hear This. If you have any questions you'd like answered or future topics you'd like us to explore, please send us an email at info at isae.org.